This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. We're this month, and I'd like to use some of my Italian that I'm using that I'm learning on Babbel, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste anybody's time. Okay. So, but this month is Italian month, and I believe it goes into the first week of March. March ninth, well. Chris. March ninth, right? Yep. So, Zupans is featuring the best of Italy, and uh, I've always found that a lot of their cheeses are exceptional. Um, the Parmigiano Reggiano, of course, but there's a lot of other options there. And one of the things that um, that Zupans has that is great is a great selection of not only fresh pastas that are refrigerated and ready to go, but also the imported pastas from Italy. They've got quite an incredible selection of those. You've got pastas, you've got truffle. Uh, if you're big into truffles, and I got to be honest with you, Chris, I'm not a big truffle guy, uh, but but I want to learn. And so this is a great opportunity for me to do that. From truffle pasta to powders and creams, uh, Italian truffle is a, a tradition that you can taste. You can get that at your local Zupans. Uh, all, all sorts of great Italian products, even down to the Zupans Garden Marinara, which we both love, uh, that uh, is made by Zupans themselves. Right. And, of course, we can't forget the wine. So they're featuring wines all month uh, from different regions. I'm looking right now at uh, the Montepulciano d'Abruzzi, Dubruzzo. Um, can I do that again? Yep. I'm looking right now at the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo and also some Chianti Classico uh, Reservoir that they have. And uh, of course, Pinot Grigio's, uh, the whites are exceptional. And this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's 20% off Italian wine. So take advantage of that. Definitely so. Ciao Italia at your local Zupans goes on again through March 9th. Three locations to stop by. McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego. And you can get all of this information where, Chris? Zupans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And Court, I'm looking at a goofy picture of you in the studios of Kink, I guess, or Alpha Media. Goofy? It's a little good, you know, you're looking at, one would describe the Zoom photo that you chose. Sure. As sort of goofy, right? You're looking into the camera as though, let's let's caption this. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was doing. It it, it was actually taken from I was doing a uh, Instagram live interview with somebody, and I was waiting for them to show up. And so, rather than talk to myself or talk to the few people that that you have at the beginning of a live video, I thought, oh, I'm just going to make it really awkward. And so, I just put my put my uh, chin on my hand as right. as one does, and I looked thoughtfully into the camera. And I think I held that pose for a good. Uh, I don't know, 30, 30 seconds, maybe even up to a minute. And then after that, I had a bunch of people screenshotting that and sending it to me. Um, <laughs> well, so here, here's what we'll do so people can see it uh, as part of the release of this episode. I'll make that part of the uh, the tile that's on the, you know, that displays there on the screen, wherever you're listening to this, uh, because this episode is not about me. It's it's about you. Well, you can still put you on there. It's better better than looking at me. Yeah. So, but I wanted to caption this, and I think the first caption I can come up with is, "Can you believe I do this for a living?" There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got you. Do you have one so you can, so people will be prompted to look? 
Uh, for for my caption, I'll have to think about it. I uh, oh boy, I'm putting you on the spot, but you can come yeah, up with it. I'll have it's, to think it, about it's it. It's not hard. Yeah. You're not going to be indicted, and there's not going to be a an impeachment trial, right? For what you say, you're not yeah. going to incite uh, a riot. Well, who hope? Here's hoping now. I won't. <laughs> have you ever come close to inciting a riot before? Uh, not 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 that I'm aware of. Nope. My, what about I, at home? Um, what about at the kitchen table? Well, you know, what's funny is I, I do this thing at, at home, at, which I can't quite figure out where I started doing it, but um, w- uh, typically I use Colgate toothpaste. This is completely out of left field, Chris. That's okay. I typically use Colgate toothpaste. For some reason, in my early 20s, I became a big fan of Colgate Total. Um, yeah. It just I, I had a roommate, and he said, you should try this, and I tried it, and I, you know, apparently I hadn't tried it up to that point. And I was I was hooked. I'm like, all right, I'm a Colgate Colgate Total guy. So one day, my wife Randy came home from the grocery store, and she purchased Crest. And for some reason, um, I, I I thought it would be funny to make a big deal about it. And so I I just I I kind of got loud, and I'm like, we are a Colgate family. And uh, ever since then, that's kind of become a thing where uh, if if something other than Colgate comes into the house. Even my two daughters will start yelling, we're a Colgate family mom. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the closest I've got to inciting anything. And it was all in jest, but, uh, wow. Yeah. I can a- say, I can say with surety, I came closer <laughs> to those kind of riots at my kitchen, at my, you know, in my home when I had my kids in the house. Right. Well, you got, you got, you had a, a house full of, uh, a full, full of boys and I, you know, obviously different conversations around the dinner table, than uh, what I have with you know, I'm outnumbered. It's me and Charlie the dog is we're, we're the only dudes in the house. So it's well, com- that's that's okay. But you know, we got to the point where we we had dinner table. We didn't have conversations where it was silent at the table. That's when I said I think I need to move out of here. Oh right, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I remember um, a little bit of cross reference to the episode here. But I remember uh, on our cross-country trips, when we took two summers and took 50 to 60 days driving across the country to baseball parks with my kids who were then 10 and 13 and then 11 and 14, I remember by the end of that, the second trip and the last five days, we were just out of stuff to talk about. And so it was the first time in my life I'd ever been sitting at a table with no conversation. And, yeah. and we were those people, right? So you've been out with Randy before and you've or your family, but when you're out with just Randy, it's easier to notice other tables. Yeah. And I have been out and you notice you go, Wow, those people over there, they don't even talk. Right. And yeah, I was one of those one of those tables. And uh, so I really noticed that. And you know, one of the things I miss most is social discourse at the table. So um, we'll hope to get back to that sometime soon. And uh, yeah, so we got to the point in the house where uh, we would just watch Jeopardy right. while um, during dinner. During dinner, I was, right. I was always opposed to the TV being on during dinner, but I just, at some point, that's better than silence. Sure. And, and it provides a little uh, back and forth because yeah. Yeah. we would t- talk about some of the answers. So yeah. that was good. But I was going to ask you not to get really off topic here, but since you mentioned it, um, have you ever actually tried the crest? <laughs> I have. I have. Tr- I've tried tr- crest. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm still a big fan of Colgate uh, Total, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't judge somebody for using crest. 
Um, well, here's why I ask, because I often go back and forth. Okay. And I think I'm a Colgate guy, and then I go, somehow I end up with Crest, it might be Renee's or whatever, but sure. then I like, and then I think, I like this better. Yeah. And then I go with Crest, a tube of that, and then I go back to Colgate, and I think, well, this is better. It's much like facial hair for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I shave it off, I think I think I look a little younger, and then... And then I'll let it grow, and I think I look better there. So it's just a matter of something new. Maybe, maybe there's something deeply psychological about that that I'm not happy with my current situation and something new. And I, don't I, th- know. I think that's that's being human because uh, you know I, I think if you do doing the same thing day after day, especially if you if we will go directly into a tube of toothpaste, uh, when you you know when you switch it up and you bring something new in, your mouth is probably like, oh, that, this is nice, this is refreshing, it's different. So right. I, I it's it. exciting to think, oh, I'm going to go brush my teeth yeah. with something new. Yeah. And, and you know, and not to harp on this Colgate thing, but Colgate t- Total comes in a variety of different options. You've got the oh. whitening. You've got the, 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 the different uh, scents. I don't like to call uh, things that you're not supposed to uh, actually ingest flavors. I would much prefer, say, scent. But I guess flavors works in toothpaste because you're, uh, you're, not- you're, you're tasting that stuff. Right, if anything's on your tongue. Yeah, I just have that. I just have a problem. Uh, I, Barbasol, the shaving cream. <laughs> if you if you listen to any sport of uh, sort of uh, sports talk, Barbasol does a lot of advertising, and when they talk about their different uh, different scents of of shaving cream, they actually right. call it flavors. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't call shaving cream flavors. No. That should be scents. So. Well, that harkens back to my childhood when we would have really crazy Halloweens where I grew up and always got shaving cream sprayed right in my mouth. So I got to taste a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Or up, my no- up the nose sure. or in your pants. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. We had a rough child. Yeah. Darien, Connecticut, man, it was, it was tribal there. So, um, <laughs> It was pretty crazy, but to do a little bit of a uh, an indirect segue, I've had the um, the last few years. You know, I've been living out at the coast, and so, but I also have the place in Portland with my kids. So I have the option to have two different toothpastes, right? Right, and going yeah. back and forth. So I think I do. So um, that's, you know, that's been kind of nice to always have to stock something different and have that change. My God, this is the most boring <laughs> thing I could possibly I was just do. I was just thinking, uh, how, how did, it was my fault, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> some, somehow we were going to set up uh, a, uh, a conversation that you and I had uh, over two years ago and, and rebroadcast it or bring it back for everybody to listen to again. And we were going to kind of fill in some gaps and some, somehow I got us off on a Colgate Colgate uh, crest, you know, war. It's it's all right because I had the segue. I was working on the segue. Yeah, no, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, well, go. no, I'm not done. You're oh, not you're, you're good. There. Okay, take it away, Chris. So the fact that we have, I have two places and can have toothpaste in two places, is really nice. Except for the fact that the house in Portland now has been without power for three days. Yeah. And I was planning on going back tonight, and I'm not going back to to go to a. I think. Parker sent me a picture of the thermostat at like 49. So, uh, and he's roughing it. I don't get it. But so uh, I'm not going back. And a lot of people, so here's the deal with this week on the podcast. 
Often we record the podcast as close to the release date as possible. Sometimes we're a few weeks in advance. But lately with Zoom, it's pretty easy to set up and have a recording session on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And then you and I do the intro on Wednesday. Um, but this week, guests that I had as tentative setups couldn't do it because they had no power. And a few of them were hightailing it out to the coast to go take a little uh, uh, impromptu vacation to get away because they had no power. So after about four or five attempts at guests, uh, I thought, well, we had a repeat last week, but let's do a, uh, let's have a conversation. And then, so you and I agreed to release the interview that you did with me on kink um, two years ago. Yeah. And a lot has changed in that two years. So since I think you said it was January 2019. Yeah, I think we recorded it. Yeah, we recorded it in either late January, early February of 2019. Yep. Right. So who knew a year later what was going to go on? But, you know, it's very, it's really sad. Do you remember back in 2017? So for those people, by the way, who aren't in Portland and maybe listening to this later, we're going through an ice storm here. I just watched the movie Ice Storm last night to commemorate mm. this. Which That's the one with uh, John Cusack, right? No, it's uh, Tobey Maguire and Christina Ricci and Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. And it takes place in my the next town over from where I grew up at the exact same time. That's characters were my age. They're doing all the same stuff, listening to the same music, wearing the same stuff having awkward moments with girls all in 1973. It's mm. really incredible for anybody who grew up where I grew up at that time to watch. Where was I? Remind me. Uh, you were, uh, we were going through an ice storm and, and Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're going through an ice storm. So uh, my house in Portland has been without power for three days, as I just said. And um, you know, this is a big event. It was Valentine's day weekend for restaurants to finally get a little reprieve yeah. and get, you know, all the business they could handle. And of course, boom, that was taken out far enough in advance where people couldn't order or some people probably ordered and, and they they had to work through it. But do you remember back in 2017 when we had a, quite a few weather events in Portland with snow and that put restaurants out of business yeah. because they had to go, you know, nine days a month, with the rough call of bringing employees in and paying them for no customers or just shutting down and having no revenue. And that was devastating back in 2017. Now we're getting that on top of all the shit that's gone on in the last year in the restaurant industry and other industries, but in particular, we're talking about the restaurant industry. There are a lot of restaurants that have shut down and, you know, we all we know about a, quite a few of those, some really significant ones. And I'm sure some are just hanging on and we're kind of hoping for the winter to get over with and see what would happen with outdoor dining. And and then for this to happen um, was just crazy. And you just think about it didn't take much in 2017 to put a few restaurants out of business. One I think of is Chessa. Right. They just couldn't recover from that. And now they're getting it on top of what they had. So I think many of them are set up now a little bit with some um, with a parachute. You know, maybe they've already dealt with landlords through the pandemic to get uh, a little bit of relief. So it's 
not going to hurt them as much. But yeah, they were really looking forward to revenue this weekend. And it was, of all weekends, the worst one to have yeah. this happen. So, so we, you know, we're having a, um, as I said, it's a little, it was challenging getting guests. I didn't have anything set up before next week. And often I like to wait till later in the game to find a guest because <laughs> you avoid the situation where you have someone booked and then something comes up that's better. It's like, you know, dating, right? Right. So, uh, but at any rate, so, um, We'll be back to having guests soon. And we have a few that are, you know, that are ready. I have, uh, I'm really looking forward to a conversation with Kate Hill in, uh, in France, who is uh, a friend of many uh, chefs in Portland, who does a charcuterie school over there. And when I was uh, planning a trip with uh, Chef Vitaly Paley to France a few years ago, to do a preview, she gave me a, a, a run through the Agen and that beautiful Gascony district over there. And I thought it'd be nice to catch up with someone who's doing something different in France um, and who's got a connection to a lot of people in Portland. She's uh, She grew up here and we'll find out more about that. But so I'm looking forward to that in the next few weeks. And uh, Jose Chessa was going to jump on and we were going to have a conversation, but he's Busy at the restaurant. I'm glad to hear that. He's he's making paella and kits for people. At uh, I'm not sure whether it's uh, Masia or Atala. I think it's Masia where he's serving some food right now. Um, but uh, we'll be back soon <laughs> with episodes. But a lot has happened from the time that we recorded the interview with you and me. And, you know, I don't remember a lot of it, but I know the content was talking about the journey that I had to get out to Portland and then get in the food business because 10 years ago, was it 10? Yeah, it was just over 10 years ago, but a little over 10 years ago, if you would have told me I was doing this with you talking about the food scene and traveling internationally with people going to incredible restaurants with chefs, I would have asked what planet you were on. Right. Because I was in the advertising business Plus, you know, doing this for Manzanita, um, I would have said, how did that happen? Because I was going through some struggles in Portland, in the Portland area, losing my house. So um, life has a lot of twists and turns. And of course, following this pandemic, you know, people are going to find new paths. Um, and I think that's important. But uh, when we recorded this in 2019, I look back on my little photo thing that I do on Chromecast. And so 2019 was one of the best years I ever had. I went to some incredible places on trips with people uh, to Italy and Spain. And then myself, I went to Germany and Australia and Austria and Norway and, uh, and Denmark. Um, it was great. Lots of places. So, and then thinking everything's going to even get better in 2020, kaboom. Uh, um, so, um, we've watched a lot of our friends struggle and it's really been a tough thing. Um, so, uh, I guess to update this interview, if people care, do you think people care? I, I think they do. I think they do. And, uh, be, which is why, you know, I think I wanted to do the interview, um, to begin with and then release it through, cause we released it through, uh, some stuff I was doing over on kink, but then we thought this would be important for us to get out on right at the fork because 
you as the uh, the regular day to day interviewer, I, I think it's important that for people, especially if they're new to the podcast, if they've come within the past year or so, they may not know the story behind. Yeah, how does a guy like Chris Angeles from Connecticut end up in Portland in the food world? Just like you talked about ten years ago, you never would have thought you'd be doing the things that you're doing, talking to the people that you're talking to, hanging out with, traveling with. And I think it's important for people to kind of see how this all kind of came together. Yeah. And it's someone who hasn't worked in a restaurant since Nixon was in office, since the day Nixon resigned, actually. No. So I hadn't worked in a restaurant since then. I'm not a great cook. So there's a lot that goes into the Portland food world that doesn't involve pots and pans. And, uh, you know, there's a whole... PR industry around uh, the food world. There are suppliers. There's um, just so many things, uh, hotels that now have a lot to do with it. Um, there's so many aspects to the food world. So uh, I didn't plan. In my, I didn't have a plan. I actually just enjoyed eating out and wanted to share the unique experience that I thought Portland offered at the time. Right now, you can't get close to you know, a chef's counter. Right. But, um, but at the time I thought that was very unique, very different than anything that I'd ever done. And, and didn't really come up with a business plan. It was just a small idea and went to a couple of chefs I knew and started these events with Portland food adventures in September of 2010 with Kathy Wims at Nostrana. And she was, here's the thing, which I, I'm sure I mentioned in that episode, but that really stands out. And I think it's still the case. Here was Kathy Wims, who was nominated for James Beard Awards and was one of the most prominent chefs in Portland. And this guy calls her that she doesn't know and says, I have an idea. And she took the time not only to say, email me the idea, but to say, come in and chat. And we developed the beginning of a concept for what Portland Food Adventures became in Portland and then grew from taking chefs to uh, other lands where they came from or where their cuisine highlights um, internationally. And it's been a really incredible experience. I have met so many wonderful people, including the chefs and all the people around the food world, like, you know, just come, comes to mind is Jeff Latham, uh, Gary, the foodie. I mm -hmm. mean, he doesn't cook, I don't think. <laughs> he must, but not that much. Um, just a ton of people, you, everybody. Um, and also the folks that come with us on these trips have become great friends. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey. It's like everybody else, I don't know what's coming. After this, we do have trips planned to Italy and Spain that have had to be moved from 2020 to 2021, most likely to 2022. And we started now I started doing local um, uh, adventure trips with chefs uh, in Snake River. So um, we have a couple of spots left, as a matter of fact, with Leaf Gildersleeve of Flying Fish Company. There's another guy that's been awesome to meet through doing Portland Food Adventures. Yeah. Uh, August 7th, if anybody's interested, go to portlandfoodadventures.com. And we do have room on our trips 2000, late 2021 and 2022 to Italy and Spain. I mention these just because we're talking about it. And of course, it's my livelihood. So um, hoping that people want to come with us. Um, can you think of anything else? I mean, I think I've 
covered a little bit of the gap from 2019 to now. I don't know if everybody's interested in, you know, there's enough of me personally on my Instagram sure. at Portland Food ADV with my dogs. So the last year has been very dog centric because I don't have a lot of food pictures to shoot or right. restaurants or social scenes in restaurants, which I really like better than food pictures per se, because there's so many of those. Yeah. But, um, but uh, personally speaking, we're just getting through. We've changed. Oh, speaking of the podcast, you know, at the beginning of this, I was very frustrated because we couldn't do this in the studio. Yeah. And our, our initial episodes post pandemic or while the pandemic started, were done in terribly rudimentary fashion with two cell phones, one recording the other conversation. Right. And now we're doing this on Zoom. And I have to say, I don't mind it. I still would like to get back in the studio, but I have a feeling this is the way we're going to do the podcast from here on in. And we're going to look for ways to improve the sound quality because we prided ourselves for six, seven years before we got to the pandemic at having someone who really knew what they were doing uh, as an engineer, you, and having great sound quality. And we, we passed on quite a few interviews where people wanted to call them in. Right. The only time we did that was when it was absolutely necessary, but we really liked people in the studio looking at them face to face in the eye and interviewing them. I think better things came out. And, uh, but was now that we're doing zoom and I can actually look at people again, um, it's okay. I don't mind it. Um, and I don't have to travel to Portland anymore. Right. I've gotten used to it. I used to like doing that. And now I'm kind of used to not going. Although when the food world opens up, I'm going to want to be going back. Well, but without the food, I'm perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. Now. No, that, that's the big question is what things, what habits are going to stick around post-pandemic and which ones are and, you know, what is going to override what? Right. Well, I think we're still going to be doing takeout. And takeout for me, given that, uh, you know, it would come back to Manzanita. I've done some of that. As a matter of fact, <laughs> this week, I bought some awesome, they look, shrimp dumplings from Liz Crane, who just uh, put out a book, Dumpling Love. And um, so those were to treat my girlfriend's family who's coming out to, um, to my home this weekend. So I bought them a couple of weeks ago. They've been in the freezer. And when my son was bemoaning the fact that some of the food in the refrigerator and the freezer was going to go bad, I, I kind of flipped it off and said, um, I said, you know, you can replace it. It's okay. And then all of a sudden I thought of my shrimp dumplings in the freezer. Ah. Those are going to go bad. And I bought a lot of them. <laughs> so, uh, my son Austin took them to my another friend of mine to put them in the freezer. So I'm going to go hand those off today. Some other things that come to mind that I have enjoyed along the way were, of course, we had Thomas Boyce from Lasagna Project. That's been some of the best food I've had doing takeout. See, that's conducive to takeout. I'm not a big person on, and I I don't mean to discourage this, but I'm I don't love eating out of boxes and right. doing meal kits at home. I've done some of them, but it's not, I just can't wait to get back in a restaurant, look at a menu and decide what I want right then and there, what I'm in the mood for at that moment, instead of ordering it two days ahead of time right? and picking it up. Sometimes that's fine, but overall, that's not a way I want to continue in life. So I've had that. We've had some things from Urdaneta picked up, especially the 
the special Basque burnt cheesecake was memorable. Um, and what else? Oh, Don Salomon, when he was doing the, um, the Italian thing, we picked up some eggplant from him as well. So I can only do so much from the coast and have done what I can. And I've found my favorite places out here as well. But I've been doing more cooking at home than I've ever done. And I think most people are, right? Yeah. I assume you are too. Uh, oh, yeah. I've, got, I've gotten pretty good at some stuff. How are those dishes coming along? For me, it's cleaning up afterwards. Oh no, that's that's been that's also been the worst. Like I, I I've I've got this running gag of like we cannot keep a clean fork in the house. I have no idea how we go through the the number of forks that we do. But if if you want a fork, you've pretty much got to go find one and clean it. Because uh, see, that's not that pleasant. But but you have th- you have you know people to help you. Yeah, but you know, you know what it's like trying to get teenagers. I've got two teenagers now to ask them to do anything. Um, well, yeah, I get that, burden. but at least it's not all on you. I mean, sure. for most of the week, it's just, just I'll you. Yeah. wake up from a little nap at ten or eleven, and oh shit, I got the kitchen to deal with. But, but I at like least, clean it. but I at least, leave it that. but at least, it, at least you only have you to blame. Whereas with 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 us, you you walk. You, I mean, you, I, I'll go to work or I'll go somewhere. My wife will, you know, whatever, and we'll leave the house or you know go work, and then we come back. And the thirteen year old, yeah. the thirteen year old decided she wanted to make, uh, you know, from scratch mac and cheese, and she's become quite the great little chef. Mm-hmm. But she dirties every pot in the place, and her version of cleaning up the kitchen is just stacking it in the sink. Yeah, that's not really. That's wor- That's almost worse. Yeah, but it's something. Um, but uh, yeah, but at least she's making something. I understand, and you're right. I have only myself to blame. Except I would be completely remiss if I didn't say uh, something about Renee, who comes to visit me on weekends, and she seems to love cleaning the kitchen. Oh. And we have a nice new kitchen here. Yeah. Um, and oh, it is one of the. And I tell her it's one of the. Uh, most generous and sweet things that she does is it's not even a question now when we, whoever cooks her or me, she, I get to sit down and not deal with it. And she cleans the kitchen up spotlessly after every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so that has been just fantastic. <laughs> I sure, just love yeah. it. It's, you know, when, when I was married, we shared tasks and then I was a single guy for 20 some odd years with kids and they helped. Yeah. But um, but overall, it's such a pleasure to just not know. I mean, to know that I can just sit back and it's done. And that's one of the beauties of going out to eat is that all those issues are off oh, the yeah. table, pun intended, um, that we you just get to go enjoy it and um, enjoy some great food. And, and to me, the service part of the restaurant industry is what what makes it so wonderful. The food is fantastic, but I wonder this in a vacuum, if the restaurant industry grew up without hospitality, if it was all just food, if it was all vending machines where you picked out, you went to pick out the greatest food out of a vending machine or even to take out and pick up and the food was fantastic, would it have garnered all the attention without the personalities and the chef and the feeling of a restaurant? I don't think so. Right. I don't think the food can stand on its own completely. The reason some of these, a lot of these takeout options and delivery options are able to sustain right now is people already knew about these places. 
and they already knew about the restaurants and the chefs. If they popped up out of nowhere, it would take a lot of PR or a lot of word of mouth. Right. Well, and what, you know, that's, uh, I was actually going to ask this earlier as we were talking. There's a lot of places now currently offering uh, food to go or meal kits that didn't offer any of that before because they didn't want, uh, because the experience was there in the restaurant. It wasn't in a, a cardboard box that they were sending you home with where they could no longer control how that was going to end up tasting uh, when, when you actually ate it. And so my, you know, I was going to, I'm, I'll be curious to know how many of the places that have found uh, that they can sustain at least a little bit, uh, you know, by doing the takeout, if that's something they'll continue once things get back to normal and they're able to invite guests more regularly back into the, to the place. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there were a lot of restaurants that struggled with that when it, first came about and they had the choice to either close or do takeout. Yeah. And while they're, if they, in the past, as you said, would have declined because of the quality control that they had over serving in the restaurant versus takeout. I think at some point they, they had to come to a decision point to say, listen, we have to compromise on that issue to have some revenue or not. Right. But I'm guessing that right now, Going forward, when restaurants open up, and we've had some of these discussions on the podcast, we've talked to Kurt Huffman about it and some others as well. I mean, you look at rest, you look at places like Cooperativa, who are set up for that now. Um, but I think they're going to, uh, they've learned that, okay, we may not be able to control it, but people still enjoy it in a certain way. And their expectations may change a little bit in a box than on a beautiful plate with uh, an appealing, um, hospitable person serving it. Right. Um, but I think going forward, they're going to want to take advantage of the revenue that will occur, not only because people got used to it during the pandemic, but you've got a generation of people who are, you know, used to click and eat yeah. and do some more clicking while you're eating, you know? So, um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to continue. Um, and I also think the delivery devices are going to change. I, I think those cardboard boxes have got to go. Um, they're, they're going to find some more attractive ways to do it. And to me, that'll go a long way because I know when this first started, all I was doing was picking up things in boxes that were falling apart. I, I, I had the most beautiful burrata salad, um, tomato and burrata salad fall apart on me from Higgins in the back of my car. Um, and I was so bummed out. But then I found when I picked up things in stable containers with plastic, nice plastic lids that really stuck on, it was a little more appealing. I wonder if I'm boring the shit out of people with this. No, you know, these are uh, real conversations. One thing I've learned in life is if, if there's something I'm whining about, it's not important to a lot of people, but it's important to some. <laughs> right. Because I'm not oh, yeah, yeah. so unique that yep. I have the only bitching. Sure. You're the, yeah, correct. Exactly. So, so um, but at any rate, it's, you know, and, and there's no one who's going to argue with me that the, the a big part of the restaurant experience and the restaurant industry is going into it and sitting down. So I keep harping on that. Um and I only do that because someday we'll be doing that again. If we were never going to do that again, I think I'd just shut up and let restaurants make their way and, and praise them for what they're doing. And I do praise them for what they're doing. Um, but, uh, 
anyway, so we're looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to dumplings this weekend. Uh, we had Renee's family has been quarantining for two weeks and they're getting tested before they come out. So that's great. I have had so many situations where I've been, like invited people into social situations and then an hour later realized, oh, shit, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> yep. So uh, we're all really tired of thinking, thinking hard and thinking twice about things we took for granted, complete granted. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be it'll be nice when we don't have to think that hard about what, wait, wait, what am I going to do? Where, where have I been? OK, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating and it creates, I I know for a fact, it creates relationship problems. And I'm not talking about mine because we've done very well syncing up, but it's been frustrating at times to say, oh, we'd love to do this. But I've heard from people I've interviewed on this podcast that their relationship has taken a hit because one party in the relationship doesn't want to socialize at all. And the other wants to get out and figure out how to do it with precautions. Right. And they're, they just can't agree. And this has been going on for a long time. So uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of, for for many reasons, but one of them being that a lot of, uh, frustrating things that have had to people who had to adjust and uh, work harder at their lives than they already are in so many ways throughout this pandemic. So um, I don't think I'm enlightening anybody. You and I are enlightening anybody to things they don't know, but I think about these things with regard to the restaurant industry a lot. And I, uh, I can't wait to just get in and sit down and be able to make a reservation and not, put a mask on. I bought these masks at Costco, which are great value, mm-hmm. but they steam up my glasses like crazy. Oh, yeah, so now, I, now I got to choose between being able to re- see and being able to breathe. Right. So, um, anyway, uh, it'll be over soon. All right. It'll, uh, let me rephrase that. It'll be over <laughs> one day. Yeah. Well, they say if I'm reading that perhaps by July, most people will be vaccinated. Yeah. So that's sooner rather than later, given the the trajectory of this. That now we're we're now just about going on a year. It was a it was a year ago, right about now, um, when we were on a little Valentine's Day trip, that I first read about this virus, yeah. and of course didn't pay much attention to it. And I lost a couple of friends that first week because um, I selfishly was getting annoyed at people who were saying what a tragedy this virus was going to be or how severe when at the time in February, nobody had had it in the USA yet. Right. So I was one of the people and I really regret it going out there and saying, Hey, listen, 10,000 people died of the flu last year and two have died from this pandemic or one or two as it progressed. And I had a couple of people who kind of like I was a Trump supporter almost who unfriended me and said, see you later. I'm never talking to you. Again. Uh, you, you weren't alone in that, Chris. I think a lot of people kind of went through that whole thing of trying, you know, because we, we've, we've been through, whether it be a different strain of the flu, the swine flu, the, the, uh, the, uh, what, what is the, there were a couple of, you know, flu, flu strains and then Ebola and all this stuff. People are trying to process it within the context of what they had experienced Right. But we none of us had been through anything like this before. So I think your reaction was 
not inappropriate. It was it was to what you had been through and the information that we had at the time, because we as we all know, information on this kept changing that, you know, they were saying early on that you don't need to worry about masks. They're not going to do you any good. And then pretty soon they're like, oh, wait a minute, we probably all should be wearing masks. Right. But it's interesting because uh, there are still people comparing it to the flu. Right. <laughs> the regular. Yeah. flu. And, and, those, and I see that. And yeah. I think, OK, do I give myself a pass because this was so long ago that I said these same things? I don't know. But well, um, I was going to say, it's, it, you, you, you base it on the information that you have in front of you. And at the time we had so little. So I wouldn't I wouldn't feel bad at all. If I were right. Wrong. And one of the and not to pat myself on the back, but one of the things we're looking for in others is the ability to process information and change their mind. So, um, you know, we 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 indict political figures for what they did in 1993. Well, some of them have adjusted their thinking. Um, so anyway, I, I certainly have adjusted my thinking and I'm uh, do you know, we've 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 gone this long without getting the coronavirus. I certainly don't want to do it, get it now. So right. I, we discussed uh, a couple of months ago, uh, re or doubling up on our efforts to really be careful because who wants to get it now? Yep. Especially. So, um, we're trying as best we can. And I'm sure I know others have too. So, um, yeah, but you know, the other thing is, I guess I don't want to get into this. There were times we, you know, we traveled a little bit and we were careful. We wore masks, but we haven't got it yet. So I'm happy about that. But I also don't think anybody should have a false sense of security about that. Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting because we went back into the second lockdown in what, November. And it's hard. It's hard to think back to to the summertime where honestly, things Things weren't back to normal, but they were a little more open. You know, we, we were able to kind of get around. Restaurants were running at whatever capacity. You know, we were able to go dine in or out, and, and it just felt a little more normal. And so it's, you know, it's, it, it's you know, we shouldn't, feel, we shouldn't feel bad at all at how we've handled this thing because none of us have been through this. We're just doing our best to get through it. Be courteous to others. Be patient. And then, you know, if, if, if you do st- – do still have those people out there that just aren't willing to put in the effort or believe in science or what people in authority that actually have experience that are, you know, went to school for these things are saying, then you yeah. kind of just have to say to those people, it's like, all right, then if you, if you haven't made up your mind on this now, you never will. Well, we've learned a lot about what people are willing or unwilling to absorb and, and treat as fact or fiction. So that's been a, an eye opener in this last year, to say the least. But I will say this, you know, I said I didn't have, I haven't uh, contracted the coronavirus. There's a possibility I had it exactly a year ago, right? Sure. When yeah. we, um, we don't know. I was sicker than I usually, I never get sick. We've discussed this before. And I was working at the Portland Auto Show for almost a week and talk about a super spreader event before anybody knew about anything there had to have been something happening. You're going into cars and handling steering wheels and stick shifts and buttons in a car, which is like the worst place for it to be. It's interesting. I'm looking at your eyes as though you're actually watching me. <laughs> that's why, that's why I use that. I'm engaged. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So, um, but and, and, you know, your building was affected by the fact that I mentioned that I was not feeling well at the time. Right. 
So I may have had it, but we still don't know yet whether if I did have it, and we don't know that, whether that means I can't get it again. We don't know that yet. Yeah. So um, I think everybody kind of went through that because I had I had the what I thought was the flu in it was about a, it, it was a year ago this time it was in February and one of the worst flus I'd ever had just wiped me out and you know and then it went through my family and we all kind of thought okay maybe we you know we actually had gone through this without knowing it we right. we, we went went and got the antibody test and came back completely negative but that's not even to say because they were you know they've even said well some people get it and don't ever get the antibodies right and maybe the tests weren't as advanced then who knows but um you know it's then that's why i forget about it because it wasn't that severe for me it was just a headache that went on for three weeks and and sniffles and a little bit of fever here and there but I usually, when I get sick, it's once every couple of years and it's for a day or two and that's it. And yeah. It's gone. So that was why it was unusual, but no one really cares about that. Um, do you think court we've been going on for quite a while here? I guess we can just tell people that this, if they want to listen to this interview, of course, it's optional. Any part of this conversation. Was oh yeah. Optional. We're not forcing people to listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, I still, you know, it's my story or a little of it. You interviewing me, which is a pleasure to sit down and do. And um, it's, as you said, and, you know, it's remarkable to me that, um, you know, there was a guy in Connecticut raising his kids who never even thought of moving to Oregon. That's that's another story that I'd like to do is the the vision that I had at one point that came to pass without my putting it up on my refrigerator. Um, of the Pacific Northwest. But at any rate, if anybody cares to listen, you know, I'm a guy who did, I mean, if there's anything that might be interesting, we did hot dog ratings at almost all major league baseball parks, which now I feel like needs to be updated because we have new ballparks and I'd like to do that. So Renee and I have been talking about doing a cross country trip, but that involves a lot of time. So uh, we'll do that. But baseball ratings, uh, ratings of hot dogs, and then the discovery of Oregon and how that came to pass and how it grew on me so quickly and, uh, and moving a family out here in the middle of school for them. Um, yeah, there's a lot that went into it. And, you know, everybody, we, we've interviewed so many people on Right at the Fork who have similar stories. And a lot of people came to Portland because of the creativity, some because it was less expensive than San Francisco, some because they just love the Pacific Northwest, and many because they grew up here. A lot, more, a lot of people who left and came back because they loved it. Yeah. So, um, and you have your story, too, which we should cover sometime of coming up here from Utah. Yeah. And by the way, are you st- are you both you and Randy still and your kids happy in Portland? Do you would you st- if you had your druthers, would you be in Portland or would you go somewhere else? I would. My wife Randy is really affected by rain and gloom. She she would prefer somewhere that saw a little more sun, a little more less rain and so uh we're, we're you know, we're probably talking when we reach you know, kids out of the house in college that we might make some adjustments there. But I, I'd live, I mean, you're living my perfect life, actually, Chris. I would love to do what you've done, which is, you know, spending time here and then going to the coast. Like, that's a dream right there. But uh, we're happy. The girls love it. I mean, my uh, my 13-year-old, this is the, this is her happy place. She loves the rain. She loves wet. She loves it when it gets cold. Um, 
So yeah, you know, we're happy. Do you think that's because that's what she's used to? Uh, it may, it may be. Yeah, she was. I don't, I don't know if growing up in Utah, she would have said, "Hey, listen, I see Portland and all that rain, and that's where yeah. I want to go." And she, and that's really the only. You know, we, she was three and a half when we we moved here. She has very little, if any, memories of life right. life in in Salt Lake City. Um, in fact, it was funny. We we f- had to fly there a couple of years ago for my my grandfather's funeral, and as we were making the approach into the into the valley there. Uh, she looked out the the plane window and she's like, where are the trees? She'd just never been around a place that, I mean, Salt Lake has trees, but I mean, the Pacific Northwest has trees. So right. it, just, it threw her off that like there just wasn't trees in abundance the way it is here. So I just, I kind of found that interesting. But. Uh, yeah, this is certainly a unique place. And I'm going to just point out too, and I used to point this out to my friends and my father when he was living, we don't get that much rain. We get it's it's misty yeah spread out for a lot of the year except the summer but it's you don't get deluges here for hours on hours right. as you do on the east coast you get a little bit and then it stops and a little bit it does you know once in a while it's raining so you you can feel it when you get out of the car and go get something but overall <coughs> it's i mean listen here I am at it. The, one of the reasons I love the coast is it's so much milder out here than it is in Portland. Right. I, I, it's just been raining all week. Everybody's dealing with the nightmare that's going to go down in history in Portland. And I'm just looking at it's sun right now and it's been raining, but a little mist and it hasn't been bad. So the Pacific Northwest, man, and the temperatures are now, what is it? What do I see out there? Oh, f- close to 50. Yeah, as I say, upper 40s. Yeah. Close to 50, so not bad. All right, listen, um, we've taken a lot. I hate to think of this as taking listeners' time. I hope they uh, got something out of this. We've all been sitting around, so it's always nice to chit-chat with you. You and I used to have nice little chit-chats in the studio before the guests came in, and I always thought, well, that would be, you know, I I think it's kind of fun to include that sometime. Sure. Um, Anybody's welcome to comment uh, and subscribe, mm-hmm. but anybody's welcome to comment on the podcast. And um, uh, it, it, interesting to note that we've been doing this for eight years. We don't get a lot of feedback. We get, I get quite a few that I liked that interview. That was great. I enjoyed that. But the only real negative feedback we've gotten, especially from one woman who hates when I talk about myself. Right. And so this, this one, I hope she, if she's, she hasn't gotten to this. No, point. I was going to say she's already gone, Chris. <laughs> she's already gone. Yeah. But um, but I've always felt that the podcast is a conversation and not so much an interview. It's not 60 minutes interview. It's right. A, it's a conversation. So um, I always enjoy having conversations with you and everybody. I guess it was a, something that I had in me that I didn't know about until we started this in 2014. Yeah. So, um, so uh, there we go. I'll let you do the intro. I'm not going to say so. Here. So this might this will actually go down as the longest intro to a podcast that we've ever done. Uh, this is a conversation I had with Chris in January and or February of 2019 about uh, what brought him here to Oregon uh, from Connecticut, the whole build up to that, and how he ended up in the food world. And here we go. Mm-hmm.
Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdoneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Whet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. Well, besides, you have to brand for a while. So it's like you have to right. do this for a year for it to really have effect. You're the expert. I'm not an expert. but, but And by the way, I was an expert, but then everything changed. Well, see, that's actually the perfect lead-in to some of my first questions here. As we talk with Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures and right at the Fork Podcast. Um, you, Your background... Okay, let, let's start with this. You're going to find that I my interview style on these podcasts are all over the place, Chris. Well, it's no wonder you've been listening to me for six years. You wouldn't learn anything there. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a rambling circle. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So the elevator pitch for Portland food adventures is what? For those, how, lo- how long does, have we got, how long? Well, it's an elevator. elevator I, we're, go, can, we're going, we're going, can we go to the empire state building? We're, uh, let's just say we're going to the 10th floor. The 10th floor. I don't know how many seconds that All is. All right. So the elevator pitch for that is, um, uh, Portland Food Adventures was something I developed 10 years ago after having sat at Chef's Counters and really enjoyed the unique experience of getting to know chefs in Portland. And I tried to find a way to replicate that one-on-one experience I had with everyone, yeah. which included talking to chefs and hearing where they hung out and where they liked to go as recommendations uh, and move, turn those into events. And this were, these were in the days where there weren't really a lot of yeah. food events. In now Portland. it seems like every every weekend there's at least something food centric in Portland, if not like every night of the week. Yeah, right? exactly. It's All not only every weekend, so you can buy tickets. Yeah, you know my events are ticketed, and so you can buy tickets. Oh, look at this. We're on things. the tenth floor. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, we, I gotta get off. No. All right. No. Um. You, but prior to 2009, 2010, you weren't in the, you weren't doing events like this before. You I'd never, never done, done any them. event no. and I had nothing to do with restaurants other than eating at them right. and enjoying them. And I actually moved out to Portland in 2005 and did not know there was even a, a blossoming food scene here or any kind of food scene no. whatsoever. I, I had stayed at the Fifth Avenue Suites and asked the concierge where I should go for dinner, and he gave me Jake's and Ruth's Chris, which is not the first place you tell someone trying to learn a food scene. A a great chain. And he told me not to go on the other side of that river, that Willamette River. Oh, really? He said, there's nothing over there? He said, there's nothing over there. You just get lost, and there's a lot of crime. Wow. That's what he told me. So I moved here the next year. And I never went, I didn't go over there. I lived on the West Side. I actually lived in Lake Oswego and started reading this 
PortlandFoodAndDrink.com, this guy named Food Dude was doing awesome reviews of restaurants. So I started going to Country Cat and Navarre's things he was writing about, and then just said, this is really cool. I had an ad agency for years, and that wasn't quite as fun. That whole world was moving towards digital, and I liked traditional analog advertising more. I was good at it, I thought, and I made a living at it, but when... Things were getting a little away from me. I thought, let me try this. So the cool thing about, are we on the 100th floor yet? I, I think, I, yeah, I think we've, we've gone, or I think we burst through the ceiling. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, that's the whole idea. So, yeah. so I, interestingly enough about Portland, because this would not happen where I came from in Connecticut. I called three chefs, one who only barely knew me from a conversation when I had lunch at Ned Ludd. Yeah. Uh, but I called Kathy Wims. Jason French and Scott Dolich and said, I have this idea for event. Would you listen? And all three said, sure, come in and talk to me. They didn't know who I was. Yeah. They, I, you know, I had nothing to do with the industry. And, I, and they all gave it a whirl. And in those days, because of my advertising connections, I, I got segments on Channel 12 and Channel 8 right. for each event. You can't make that happen now unless you're Feast Portland. Sure. That's about it. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so that's where it went. And now we're doing travel to foreign lands with Portland, cool Portland artisans and chefs. Yeah. So, and that's, to me, that's what I'm enjoying the most now. This is our little secret that nobody's going to hear. Right. Is that uh, I love my food events in Portland, but what I really enjoy are my trips to Australia and Spain and Italy Mm -hmm. that I'm doing. So that's fun. And we'll talk about those a little bit later on, but let's, let's go back to Connecticut because that's, that's where you grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut, yeah. So uh, outside of New York, yeah. And your so, your dad was a was a ad guy too, right? Was my dad it? was a pretty big ad guy, yeah. but he didn't go very far. He had a big ego and threw that around too much. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, he was actually the first international uh, marketing director for a little company called PepsiCo International. I think I've heard tale of those guys. Yeah. So uh, so he was responsible for bringing Pepsi into India and uh, Asia. Did he travel a lot? Yeah, because of that, they did you, were away did you a lot. travel because of that as well? Not much. No, I got to travel on the on the 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 domestic vacations sure. once in a while, but I didn't go. My mother, my mother, and my father were off all over the place, and mm-hmm. I wish we still had those little eight millimeter films of all of them in Beirut when Be- before Beirut was what, a what happened bomb to zone. I, I just over the years, the moves, they've, their yeah. moves, my moves. I don't know where they are. They're yeah. somewhere, but. I didn't clean out their house upon their passing, so right. that's not what happened. But at any rate, they used to travel a lot, and we lived in this interesting community in Connecticut where there were a lot of fairly wealthy people, and so everybody's parents were gone, so there were parties in big, beautiful homes all the time. Right. And uh, we didn't realize, you're growing up, you don't realize that's not what the world is really like. Sure. And uh, so Darien, Connecticut, back in the 70s, I don't remember doing any homework, but I certainly had a good time, <laughs> and I and I certainly learned how to um, uh, what a good party was like. So maybe that's yeah, what was the name of me later wasn't, on. Wasn't there a, a beach, the Weed Beach? Weed Beach was weed the beach, place yeah. we all hung out. Yeah. And and inter- it's, for anybody who's in Portland, uh, my buddy Jeff Reidebach, who owns Homegrown Smoker, right, would know would have known that too. Came from the same area. Same, yeah. high, same high school, right? Same high school. As a matter of fact, if you have time, I can tell you a really funny story about that. So I, I come out here in 2005, and I have a friend coming to visit. Mm-hmm. I knew nobody, and I just wanted to get a little pot 
for yeah. to, for their visit. And sure. so I had seen that Jeff was online, and I said, I know I knew his sister, mm-hmm. and I sort of knew him, and I said, he's in Portland, and I had seen him on Facebook a little bit, so I wrote him and said, sure, come on over. I won't go into what he had at the time, because now it's legal, but then it wasn't. Then it wasn't, right. And so, um, but I said, Jeff, I whatever happened to you? I haven't seen you in years. And he said, well, that's because, uh, do you remember the, do you remember when Dr. Robbins, who was the vice principal, there was that... Um, scandal where somebody put blotter acid in his coffee and i said yeah i, I absolutely actually do remember that was a big deal right. you know someone got the the vice principal completely stoned out of their mind and he said well the last time i saw darian high school was through the window of mrs parker's math class and i i left and i went out to the west coast and i that was it i moved to the west coast back in when he was in like 11th grade wow so that was, but, but that was that was his uh, that was his farewell. That was his farewell, and I thought it was I thought it was extremely fitting yeah. that that guy who did left town because of that reason yeah. was now in Portland, Oregon. It was like the perfect right. right. You wouldn't. It wasn't surprising. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, so now he runs Homegrown Smoker, which is just awesome. Vegan barbecue. Yeah. Very typical Portland. Awesome. It's like place. the most. Typical Portland, or are they exactly. most stereotypical Portland? Stereotypical Portland. Yeah. So anyway, there's that story. But um, you know, then I, uh, but and then I lived. I didn't grow. I when I was older, I didn't choose to live in Darien, Connecticut. I yeah. moved up to Pike to Guilford, which is a really beautiful place, uh, but not quite as snooty and not, and not hedge fund people and all that. But you ended up uh, eventually in radio advertising. I don't know if that was the first. First, play, now uh, you I stop on the at, train. I worked at a really cool ad agency for years. I have stories on everything, but I'm not going to go into that no. one. But my friend was working in radio at WPLR in New Haven, mm-hmm. and I was an account guy at a uh, agency in Greenwich. And he was just, you know, every time we went out to eat, he could afford to pay for everything, and I was struggling with my family. And he said, "You should go into radio sales." And um, as a matter of fact, our agency was laying people off. I went in and met with this gentleman by the name of John Bergen, who was the guy that yeah. Mad Men was formed after. He was okay. the original Mad Men. Sure. Mad Men. So I go in and interview with him to see if I should be going into Madison Avenue and following in my father's footsteps and all that. And he said to me, he said, don't do this. You see those pictures over there of my family? I don't see them. They generally hate me because I'm not in their lives. And so he said, go into media sales. Those guys have time for their family and those guys make money. And so I followed his advice. Wow. And I did. And so it's one of the reasons I'm here because I became fairly comfortable with that world. Yeah. Um, I hated media sales. I hated radio sales. Mm -hmm. But I was pretty good at it because my niche in the uh, sales department was that I could write great copy. Yeah. I thought I could, but I, that's how I got clients is I would write the copy and then, okay, they loved it. So now you got to run it somewhere, right? So you'll run it with me and you'll buy a schedule. Sure. And so I did that. And, uh, from there, the logical progression was I met some people in that business who needed advertising help beyond radio. So I started working with them as their agency, small little agency, which got me on, got me Launched me into uh, the advertising world, yeah, and it launched me out to Oregon. One of the, one of the the things that I've always kind of admired about you, Chris, is that, um, I, and I think you've talked about this with me a few times, is that the decision you had to make when you set out to start the agency 
basically separating yourself from an actual company where there was the more likelihood of a regular paycheck to doing it on your own was also when you found yourself as a single father of two. Yeah, I was forced. Well, I lost my job. I worked at a small age, another small agency there, and I was not able to work. I yeah. was so distraught that my marriage fell apart, and uh, I wasn't really just so distraught about I have full custody of a four and seven year old and have to figure out how to make this work. But I was, I was, you know, I was heartbroken, sure. and uh, that was not the plan after eighteen years to yeah. do it. So um, I kind of things happen, and you have to force things to happen in life. So the same week I got divorced, I, I started my little ad agency, and and I also worked in media sales as well for a, a more a publication, a niche publication. So I did both. But um, yeah, and I, I forced myself to learn, but I have not had a steady paycheck. I've had paychecks that I pay myself, right. but I haven't had a something that where I know it's coming uh, since 1995. On the plus side to that uh, is that, I've made my own schedule on every day yeah. since 1995, and, 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 and I haven't put on a tie, except for maybe an occasion here and there. But okay. That's it. You didn't have to do it on, like daily? Not yeah, or, or annually. Yeah. I didn't have to do it. So <laughs> You think uh, you've gone years without putting on a tie? I just said to my girlfriend Renee yesterday, I said yeah. it's, been, it's been at least a couple of years since I put on a tie. So, yeah. Think you could still do it blindfolded? You yeah, I did. I did for, I, for whatever reason, I had one on recently, and I, for a, a joke. And I was able to. You're tie able it. to do it. Yeah, I can do it. Bow tie? How do you? How, how, no, no, no. I can't do it. Never did it. No. I just don't think. That's I, there's my look. YouTube videos out there for that. I've been doing that lately. Well, they didn't have YouTube. Right, back that's in the true. Day, that's so. true. So one of one of the things you've uh, always shared with me is is because you were making your own schedule because you were now self employed. That is what allowed you to be there for your boys, raising them as a single father. Yeah, That's probably the only way it really worked. It was It was the only, well, I wanted to do it first. It's yeah. not like I said, I have to be self-employed. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to work. But it ended up, after a few years, you realize, wow, oh, I don't know how I would be employed. My old, my One of my sons has Asperger's syndrome, which mm -hmm. back in 1992, when it was diagnosed, there was one book on the subject and i was told he would never be independent uh, he's gainfully employed now and certainly independent yeah. so um but i had to advocate for him um in school to make sure he got services that he needed and then when we moved it was uh, to oregon and i just assumed everything would just follow me and whatever services he was getting there would follow here no and uh, and even after i moved here i found out no he's not necessarily getting that lows unless you advocate so i wondered how or i i certainly appreciate and respect how hard it is for working people and especially working parents i'll say fathers and mothers yeah um to handle those types of things because you you know not only things for your kids but how do you you know getting mortgages and oh, yeah. all those things you have to spend hours on the phone doing uh during the middle of the day so i it's always been a little easier for me Maybe, but I, I I I like to think of you've always served as a uh, since since I learned this about you, um, you've always been a bit of inspiration for me because you know I both my wife and I work and our kids are busy. We we probably make them way busier than they should be, but oh that I that I believe. Oh yeah, you know we've we've had that, we've had that conversation. <laughs> but but I always think I'm just like man, how did how did Chris do this with two boys on his own while running his own 
you know, running his own business. It was I mean, that's because I was doing it from the, you know, the house. Yeah. And, and, and in those days you had to actually fake that you had an office. Right. Working right? from home wasn't the, wasn't, right. You didn't tell yeah, anybody yeah. I'm working from home. You just yeah. said, I'll be in the office at four o'clock yeah, and yeah. you, and you locked the dog up ever, to make sure there was no barking. Did you ever transfer the call to yourself? No, I don't think I did that. I may have, I don't know, but you had to do, you had to do things like that. And then, um, you know, there were snow days where the kids were home all the time. And I have to tell you, I have no sympathy for people who tell me, oh, it's a snow day now. My kids are home. I can't make a business call. It's like, that was, that was your life. Yeah. You have to make a call. And I also don't, so having done it myself and I'll never say it was really hard because I always felt that without a spouse. So the, the thing was that you didn't mention is my, their mother just took off. We hadn't yeah, heard she from was, her she for was, 20 years. She was not in the picture so at all. There was no, there were yeah. no weekends where I got a break yeah. or, you know, so that's a different kind of single parent yeah, yeah, than, is. than the negotiation. The On the other sure. end, there was no, the buck stopped with me and there was no negotiation and it was easier to be. In some respects, it was way easier to be a single parent because I didn't have to deal with that nonsense with uh, an ex-spouse and sure. trading off weekend and arguing about this. I've seen that. But I really, I find it, I try not to say anything. I bite my tongue. But people who, you know, say it's my kid's weekend. I can't come to your party. It's kind of like, geez, I had to, every weekend was kid's weekend. And yeah. I'd, so I get a sitter. But I do understand where people on the week that they have their kids want to spend time with them right. too. But on the other hand, come on, you don't have to do it every week. You can get away sure. a little bit. And besides, I think it's good to show kids that the world does not revolve around them. I'm not staying home every weekend because you're here. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I uh, obviously did a little bit of thinking of this. About you should this write a parenting book. Well, I was starting to write a book on raising a kid with Asperger's syndrome, yeah. but the thing was he's a private person right and i everything i would write would be violating his privacy and then and it was about a single parent so i was making i submitted this to an editor in new york who really wanted this book and may still want it but it was years ago and she said you got a little bit of a flip attitude towards your ex-wife and i said well how am i going to handle how am i supposed to handle the woman i loved and the mother of my children taking off with the produce guy Mm-hmm. Uh, without some a little, little bit of attitude and sarcasm sure. about the whole thing. Yeah. So, and then I just said, well, for two reasons, this book is probably not something I need to put out there, but I still have a pretty, I can do it now without the hurtful emotion because I'm kind of beyond a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, you're a little re- more removed. Yeah, the, kid, the yeah. my sons are raised. I have a different life. I yeah. have a different focus and uh, I really enjoy myself out in Manzanita and now I'm, for a living, I can't believe this if you told me I was doing this 10 years ago, traveling around the world yeah. with people who are paying to go have these experiences. So, well, well you, when you were, um, and I want to talk about your the what prompted you to make the move from the East Coast here to Portland. While you were in Connecticut, though, during this time, e- eating out, but never having the experiences that you had here in Portland in terms of the, the rapport you would get with the, the chef at a chef's counter. Never. No. Well, not only that, I had younger kids, so right. I mean, we were Harder to do. we were at chip, you know, we were at pubs and pizza places, yeah. and I mean, I wasn't embarrassed to go into a cracker Cracker Barrel. I didn't know that I should be embarrassed. Now that you live in Portland in this food world, it's not something you generally talk I'll, about. I'll, I haven't been in one in I'll, years. I'll take you to Cracker Barrel because I love their mashed potatoes. Yeah, so and I have, I really there's we have a snobbery here in Portland yeah. about it's got to be farm fresh and farm it's got to be right. this. 
I'm totally okay with a with a McDonald McDonald's sausage biscuit yeah. in the morning and a, and a cup of coffee for two bucks. Go to Beaverton, and you're going to see all those places. Yeah, they're all there. And yeah. by the way, um, Popeye's fried chicken, one of my favorites. Oh yeah, don't take that away. Sure, so, um, I love that. So let's talk about the um, the two trips that uh, you took in. Were they back to back summers where you decided what what prompted the uh, um, How much time we, do we have? We, it's always that question. Yeah, we got, we got a, a few more minutes here. Okay. Got a little bit. So you did this unique thing where you took your boys on a road trip through the United States, specifically to visit ballport, ballparks, ballparks right? Major League what, ballparks. what prompted that? So I was a, uh, I was a, I've always been a big New York Mets fan. Yeah. It's the only sport I have left that I love. I used to love, uh, growing up, I was 11 years old when mm-hmm. the Mets won the world championship, which... Those listening who are under 40 wouldn't have any idea what a big thing that was. Right. The Amazing Mets. The Jets won the Super Bowl with Joe Namath. The, the Knicks won the World Championship. At 11 years old, that's like the perfect time for a little jockey kid right. to appreciate that. And so, um, so I've always been a Met fan. And my son, who I mentioned um, with some disabilities, was spending too much time in front of a computer. So mm-hmm. my friend in... North uh, in Bozeman, Montana, offered to take him out to the wilderness for two weeks where there were no electronics. Well, he was just freaked out by that prospect. Right. But, and also looking at plane flights to get out there, it was two connections. And so for a 13-year-old with Asperger's syndrome, I thought that was a little bit much to yeah. trust that was going to happen. So I thought... You know, go back to I control my own schedule, and I had this awesome connection with Comcast, who their rep said I could set you up at ballparks all across the country with tickets. So I thought, why don't I just make this a long summer long journey to get him to Bozeman, and we'll go to ballparks on the way. Okay. This is like the dream. Yeah, and so uh, it ended up to be well, I'm not going to drop him off in Bozeman. We'll just go see Dave and hang out for three days, and then. Will continue. So we ended up doing fifty or fifty-five nights, fourteen thousand miles. Where I'm doing all the driving, and mm-hmm. you know, I got I got sleep apnea problems too. So that was an interesting challenge, right. making sure we all lived. But um, <laughs> but I did half the major league ballparks, and I have to tell you, the I have a lot of wonderful things to be thankful for mm-hmm. in my life. Those were the highlight. That was a highlight of my life, just driving across the country with my kids, yeah. sitting in Kansas City, looking at the storm coming in, watching the scoreboards. The whole thing was wonderful. And so I had planned that whole thing over a terrible winter. All this comes together. Terrible winter in Connecticut. Um, so the planning was kind of the escape from the hell weather I was looking at outside. The right. Summer's coming and we're going to be in ballparks. And then another bad winter came right after it. And I thought, all right, let's do it again. So I did the second one in 2003. Some really incredible things happened along both of those journeys with, I don't know if you know, Daryl Kyle dying in a hotel room when oh, we were right. on our way to that hotel. Right, okay. So we stayed there right after it, and wow. then we went to St. Louis, and they had the memorial for Daryl Kyle, and we were at that game. I mean, little wonderful little things that the kids, will, they remember these things forever. Yeah. So we ended up doing almost all Major League ballparks, um, except for the ones in Florida, which, you know, I mean, Tropicana Field, I think I could do without that. Sure. And I'd already been to everything in the Northeast. So... Um, uh, on the way, uh, we hit Bandon, Oregon, mm-hmm. in one of the trips, and I had an epiphany on a July summer day in 2003, or four, I don't, oh, 2003, that I thought, ah, we could live out here. I didn't have to contact any 
ex-spouse or the kid's mother to find out most people would couldn't do right. it. Right, yeah, yeah. So I'd have to, I know, there's visitation. I thought I could move out here. I fell in love with Oregon, and then we got to Portland a few days later, and I thought, okay, I might be able to make a living here. Yeah. And um, that was that. And it took a couple of years to orchestrate a move. Not easy to do across country with kids in middle school and high school. Right. Um, and I don't Did think- you get any resistance from your boys on oh, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a resistance, but yeah. they're, they're cool with it now, and I knew- what was better for them, and a lot of their lives were online at the time. So I thought, right, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to be online, you can do this. But yeah, I got, definitely got resistance. I used my dog as the bribe. So uh, my youngest really wanted a dog, yeah. and he was the one who was the most giving me the most resistance on the move. And I said, listen, okay, I'll relent on the dog, but no more, not another word about Oregon. And uh, and that dog's still alive. That yeah. was 15, 14 years ago, Oakley. My wonderful little Labradoodle. I didn't, I didn't realize that Oakley was part of that deal, that negotiation. Oakley was part of the deal. Yeah. And he's still part of the deal. Yeah. Big part of the deal. Hey, Chris, let's pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places in Portland to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Right there on West Burnside, uh, while they not, may not be offering the in-restaurant dining because of the current regulations that keep changing, what you can do... Uh, is enjoy takeout from ringside. So if you're in the mood for a hearty steak or even prime rib, they have three course steak dinners to go five nights a week, starting at only $38 per person. And, uh, you know, for ringside steaks, that's fantastic. So go to their website and see what that's all about. You can uh, uh, order to go uh, and you can find them on DoorDash and Caviar or directly there. Call for pickup uh, starting at 3.30 and pick it up until 7.30. Start um, at 503-223-1513. That's 503-223-1513 at ringside for a great pickup uh, opportunity for to eat wonderfully tonight or tomorrow night or the next night. Starting on Wednesday, they're open Wednesday through Sunday. Hopefully, in due time, you'll be able to make reservations to dine in the beautiful restaurant, which has been updated to pandemic standards and looks beautiful as a result with all the plexiglass between the booths and, of course, uh, lots of expensive ventilation that's gone into uh, the restaurant and trained staff and employees to make your Visit once you can go back in as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. So there's really no reason for you to not eat delicious food, first of all, but also uh, continue to support a Portland institution with Ringside Steakhouse. Uh, you can get all the information that Chris just mentioned on their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. So you, so you, you, you move to, to Portland. And you start going to these restaurants. And, that's, and so that would have been 2005. So it was a good four or five years, though, until... You, you pulled the trigger I on. didn't even realize there was a food scene until 2007. Yeah. So I was just going to the same places down near where I lived because someone told me not to go over the bridge. Right. And uh, yeah, it was about 2008, 2009, I started um, getting out of the house and going. I used to be a regular at Navarre over on 28th. I went there quite a bit because the server there was from Connecticut and we had a lot in common and we used to talk. And then one day I started reading that blog, Food Dude's blog. Yeah. And would divert myself from Navarre to the place that he was talking about, Country Cat or something. And uh, I kept going to these restaurants and I was just like, I was hooked. This is really cool. To It was the chef's counters that got me. I would not have been hooked if I just sitting at 
restaurants, but it, it was, I really started to think we're in Portland. Remember I told you about my childhood with football, yeah. basketball? All we had was the Blazers, and right. I wasn't really a huge Blazer fan. I thought these guys, these chefs, and this is when food TV started taking off. Yeah, yeah. These chefs are our rock star, our celebrities here, and, and we, they should be showcased. And they have really hard jobs, and they, they make these things sing. And they're interesting people. They all have backgrounds that nobody knows about. So we're eating their food. It would be nice to know about their backgrounds, where they learned about food or what their food first food memories were. And that's why we have the podcast, too, Yeah. So to go a little deeper. So I, And you, I think you answered this in the initial Conver- or initial question about Portland Food Adventures, though, but you you didn't model these events on anything other than what would be uh, what you think would be a gr- good night for a I bunch of people. I had no idea, yeah. and I really didn't know anything about restaurants per se. So I went to Kathy Wims, um, who you know is pretty well known, and, yeah. and had just had opened restaurant. Well, no, she'd had an restaurant for a little while, but she didn't know me. And I sat down with her outside of her restaurant. I said, "So here's what I want to do." I would like you to serve everything on the menu, which I hadn't even really looked at her menu. Right. Yet, but she, she looked at me, everything? And I said, well, I want everybody to be just get a full Nostrana experience. Like, the, all in one night, yeah. you're going to know what Nostrana is like, but I want you to come out and serve everything and talk about the dishes. And I just want people to really get to know you as though they were sitting at a chef's counter just having a conversation with you. And then the next night... We're, she gave me her list of favorite places, and Bar Avignon was on the top of Kathy Wim's list. She she loved Randy and Nancy, late Randy. Um, and uh, I said, and then the next night, we're going to go and have drinks with you over at Bar Avignon. How cool is that? Can really get to know the chef. So um, that did, that part of it never really worked out because getting people to come – 30 people to come on Tuesday night and right. then come back, back on Wednesday. They were all yeah. too busy. That's for that. That was tough. So yeah. it ended up just being, let's go get gift certificates to Bar Avignon and then two or three of Kathy's other favorite places. Mm-hmm. So you come to these events, you get that experience. And by the way, I'll, Kathy was awesome because her, we didn't, we couldn't buy out Nostrana. We had like 25 people yeah. at the first one. But so it's a loud restaurant. She had to serve one side of the table, tell this long story, then go to the middle of the table, tell it again. Same thing. And she did it for like 10 courses. So oh, wow. 40 things I'm asking her to come out and explain everything. Yeah, yeah. By then she, she was giving out the Cliffs Notes, just the shortened, shortened right. version, right? But she, you know, she was a, a trooper on it. But on the other hand, on the other side, I, you know, I had TV stations in her restaurant talking to her about right. this. So she was all over everything. And, you know, there's a certain close-knit community who reads Eater who understands, the, who knows about the Portland food scene and who's been where and who likes who. And then there's this whole other food world out there that has no idea, and those are the people you reach with TV. Right. So um, so that was cool, and that was event number one. Mm-hmm. And I honestly had no plan on where to go from there, and it went pretty well. It went well. It was fun. Yeah. And then we did another one, and then they just kept coming, and I... And then I, I didn't make a lot of money. I still had my ad agency. Mm-hmm. I wasn't making big money on events, but I was pulling, making enough to say, this okay, worth this continuing. is fun, and yeah. where can it lead? So, like, I didn't know it was going to lead to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I didn't, the, this is my advice as a guy who's lived a big life. Just do things that you don't know where they're going to lead right. uh, that you enjoy. Yeah. So, um, so I led to 
right at the Fork podcast, and it also led to getting to go and getting to know a guy like Jose Chesa at Atala and asking him when I want to take my son mm-hmm. as a graduation gift to Barcelona. Where should we go? And then we came back, and he gave me these incredible recommendations. So that was the catalyst. That was my next question. That what was the catalyst to taking Portland Food Adventures to international trips. on that's trips? What, that's was, what it was. was. Just a personal was, question that became, hey, wait a minute, we could do this on a bigger oh man, scale. So I, I'm the type, and I'm sure a lot of people are. When they're going on vacation, they're going to do massive research on where to eat. Right, right. You could, there's all the, there are all these sources now. You can read blogs, but for this one, Jose just gave me his list. Yeah. He's from, he's from there. He would know. He's from Barcelona. Yeah. His friends went to culinary school. He knows people who own, who own restaurants there. Mm-hmm. And he just gave me his list. Bing, 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 bing. I get there. I have to do no research, which I really enjoyed. I could spend time doing other things and not wondering. Because I, I swear, I'll get down. Should we go here or should we go there? Right. Make a decision. And then 10 minutes later, I don't know. Maybe it should be over there. So I didn't have to do that. And we had such a good time. And everything was so incredible. Uh, of course, on the way back on the plane, I thought, this is a business idea. Yeah. And it takes what I was doing with Portland Food Adventures in restaurants in Portland and expands it in a beautiful, organic way. The idea was to get to know chefs. Now you're going to go back to their where they came, where they from, came from and spend a week. Yeah. And so a guy like Jose... Uh, which we've done four trips with him to Barcelona and, you know, and, and coming up with Nolan Hurdy from Proud Mary oh, yeah, from Australia. Australia. Yeah. We're going to go in two months and spend um, nine days with, with him in a place where everybody's going to welcome him back with open arms. Mm-hmm. All his cotton industry colleagues, because, you know, it's a close-knit. Everybody knows everybody. Right. And they can't wait. You're bringing people back from Portland to show them what we're doing here. And so where else can you get that experience? So I thought this was the most beautiful, organic way to expand what I'm doing and selfishly to do something I really enjoyed, which is getting to see these places I've never seen in ways that are just awesome. You could plan a trip to Australia, to Melbourne, and it would be it could be cool. You could kind of look at what we're doing and try to get a feel. We don't list every restaurant that we're going to for a particular reason. Yeah. It, or you could see it afterwards looking at the Instagram and you could do that. You could go by yourself or with a friend or your, your significant other, but you would never have a party with Portland people and have everybody welcoming your host, Nolan, into their restaurant and giving you demonstrations and bringing you in the kitchen and here's what we do. It's really cool experience. Yeah. So. Uh, just recently, before we get too far away from it, um, you, your most recent uh, dinner, which was just last week. Tasty and Daughters. Tasty and Daughters, number 75, I can't keep track. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I think somewhere along the way I said, how many have I done? And I went back and counted and I yeah. probably didn't even get it right. So Yeah. So you, you used to do at least, you were doing like one a month for a while, right? Yeah, but now it's hard with the travel to yeah. keep that up. And then also, one would think these things would get easier. I yeah. sold everything out for three years. Right. And it was, that was cool. I loved mm-hmm. This is great. You put up an event, sold out. You get to say sold out. Stop thinking about it. Move on to the next one. Right. Nowadays, it's a little tougher, except with a place like Tasty and Daughters. You right. know it's going to sell out. Right. The opening, they closed Tasty and Sons, John Gorham and Renee Gorham. They mm-hmm. closed that up on North Williams, and then they took over the Woodsman space, uh, Woodsman Tavern space right. division. So we did the opening there, and I just, I'm so um, honored that they let us come in and do those openings. If we can talk about some of the openings we've done are pretty cool. Um, 
What was your question again? No, I just, I just wanted to talk about that one. Just the significance of that. Just oh, that being, one was you know. was pretty incredible. So, um, just to tell a little story on that, the idea for the iteration that is now Portland Food Adventures came from John Gorham. Mm-hmm. We were sitting at Tasty and Sons when it first opened, and he was at the counter, and I asked him, "So where do you?" Because you know that was one of the best breakfast and brunch places, right? Or it is. And I said, where do you like to go to breakfast? And he gave me a few places. And I thought, okay, well, this week I'm going to hit them all. Every Wednesday I'm going to Fuller's. And Tuesday I'm going to go to Little Red Bike Cafe. And I met somebody there at Little Red Bike Cafe and ordered this beautiful dish. And then the... um, the people, one of the guy who owned it came over and said, I had told him John Gorham sent me, and he said, oh, cool. And he said, oh, by the way, someone ordered this, and they're not here to ex- receive it. Do you want this omelet? And it was this beautiful, the avocados were all sliced beautifully in, right. in this cute little place, and they're being so nice to me. And I thought, wow, here's an idea, chefs telling you where to go. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's one of the re- ways it started. Yeah. So I went back to John Gorham when I had this idea and I said, can we do an event at Tasty and Sons like the one I described to Kathy Wims? And he said, why don't you get your feet wet? I'm like, okay, I understand that. I, right. I've never been in the business. Yeah, I've yeah. never done anything. Two years later, I went back to him and said, okay, I got 24 under my belt. I, you can talk to any of these chefs or restaurants. I don't, it's not that, that complicated, but if they're not happy with it, they'll let you know. He said, all right, well, I'm opening um, the second Tasty, Tasty and Alder, uh, in a couple of months. Why don't you just handle the, do the opening of that? So it'll be a Portland Food Adventures. Yeah. Well, since then, we've done the opening of Mediterranean Exploration Company. We've done the opening of, re- reopening of Tasty and Alder. Mm-hmm. I did his catering business up at Wine Country. And now we just opened did the opening night. It's really cool to be able to say I was did the first ever dinner at these restaurants, yeah. which we've also done at Ox and Coquine, and I can't even think of some of the others, but yeah. just honored to be able to be the first people in these restaurants. If I do nothing else in the Portland Food Adventures just stops, and it's going to someday, um, I'll be able to think, wow, I, that was pretty pretty cool little run. I got to know these people who I'm not even in their industry. They, they really have no reason to yeah. respect me. Uh, it's pretty cool. But I think over time, because I always get a kick out of of just your unassuming, you have a knowledge of of the industry, you know these people, but you don't consider yourself a part of it. No, I'm a consumer. My whole thing is a promoter. So I'm not one of them, and I don't want, and I sort of think that the years of advertising and marketing, what I bring to the table for them is Mm -hmm. I don't think like you think. I think like a consumer. So I think this is appealing to some people. But let me just finish on Tasty and Daughters because we had because on our podcast right at the fork, mm-hmm. we had uh, John Gorham on talking about his brain tumor, right? Which is a big deal. Yeah. They own a lot of important restaurants, mm-hmm. and he a year ago was diagnosed with this, and he's gone through surgery. And so he, I don't do a lot of most of my events are not for charity. There's a reason for that, which we can go into or not, but. But this one, he said, I want it to be for the Brain Tumor Society. So we took 100 of every $150 ticket and gave it to the Brain Tumor Society. So we had a check for them for 52 53 or actually more. We auctioned a few things off. Mm-hmm. So they're going to make like 5500 bucks from this. And that is John Gorham saying, oh, so I, I don't need any money for food. I'll cover the food. I'm opening the restaurant. I'm just testing everything anyway. Right. It's a marketing or it's a, it's a uh, research and development cost. Yeah. 
and he's he fair so everybody was there it was really nice that they were that people were there to contribute to the brain tumor society and we had we had restaurant owners there who had brain tumors also it was yeah. pretty it was pretty nice and john at the when he did his introduction said listen the reason i wanted you here and i wanted to said it was a little selfish the reason i want to ra- raise money for these people i want them to invent the pill so i don't have to deal with this right so yeah. uh, that's what his thinking. And I don't have it pulled up here. Uh, we had we've had John on a couple of times on right. the Right at the Fork podcast, and he he the, the most recent one. I'll find it and I'll put it in the notes. Right. Um, he really gets into you know that whole diagnosis and what it means and what it means for his future because he's still potentially down the road. Oh, he's, he's going to be living with, with this all of his he's, life. Yeah, and, and it's a until big that th- pill is invented. It's a big threat, and and not only that, along the way. He was very forthright on the podcast and talked about how um, all of this has resulted in massive, uh, not, well, I can't say massive, but when you have, when you're depressed, I've been through depression. Yeah. When you have, it's a pretty big thing in your life. It's not something you just get over. It's not like having an annoying child. It's an annoying thing in your head that just drives every day for you in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So he's had depression he's had to deal with too. And um, awesome of him to be so uh, forthright talking to us on the podcast i never said to him ahead of time hey we're gonna go into this i didn't even know yeah. about the depression so uh in the last five minutes that we have here let's talk about the podcast in 2014 you teamed up with our good friend heather jones right and uh and in fact i think the catalyst came from her asking you about it is that right. how it went she down was, she was she was working with this now defunct company that was doing podcasts yeah. in portland so this is 2000 this would have been in 2013 yeah she wanted to, they talked to her about starting a food industry podcast and she needed a host. So she auditioned a few people and she called me, I think primarily because I had contacts, right? So you, yeah. when you have a podcast and we're doing it weekly, oh, right. contacts, contacts are very important yep. because you can get guests easier. Mm-hmm. No one at that time ever said, hey, you're going to have to worry about, I, I, someone did say, you're never going to be able to carry this on after a year or two. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I could probably find guests for a year or two and meet new people. So, um, so I put the headphones on in front of a mic like I am right now. And then I realized while I was doing the, this is huge epiphany. This is what I went to college for. This is what I studied. This is what I always wanted to be yeah. when I was a kid watching those Knicks games and Mets games I'd sit in front of the TV yeah. with a fake mic doing the broadcast. So yeah. I thought I'd really like to do it. I went to her and said, you know what? I just really would like to do this. But if you have somebody else you like more, that's fine. So we started the podcast in 2014, again, with no real plan other than we're probably not going to make any money doing this for a while. It's a labor of love. Yeah. And we're supporting the industry and uh, not supporting ourselves doing this. And uh, we went two years, got it up and running, and then she and I you know, had uh, d- decided that we either didn't want to do it anymore or it wasn't necessarily... You know, we weren't making any money. Right. You were losing money, actually. We were losing money. Because of me. Yeah, because of you. We were paying you. But that that was never part of the discussion. Sure. Here's the thing. When you're not making money or losing it, if you're not having fun. Yeah. Right? And it was fun, but I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't. So we just decided, uh, I said to her, I don't know if I want to do this anymore like this. And she said, well, if you don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And I said, oh, all right. Well, then, and then she just. And the conversation said, well, why don't you just take it? And I thought, I was fully prepared to not do it anymore. Right. And then I thought, well, okay, I can't do this on my own. There's no way, and I don't want to do it on my own. And you were the natural, 
you had been at the board yeah. doing everything technical and all the things on the back end and the, uh, you know, and the, with Libsyn and so forth. Mm-hmm. And she called you and said, you want to do this podcast with me? We'll be partners on this. And so that was 2000. 15, 14, 14, 2016, yeah. two, January 2016, right. and now we're in 2019. I can't yeah. believe it It's that it's gone that far. So Food Dude, the guy whose blog I mentioned before, right. wrote me in year two and said, it, it's a nice podcast, but I don't know how you're going to continue to get all these guests. Yeah. And I said, I, I didn't doubt, I didn't doubt myself. Yeah, I, I can do it. And now we do some repeats. We check in with people years we later. We do repeats. Yeah. And we, and we check back in because there is this evolution the, the conversation, I mean, we went through this whole there and I think the tipping thing is still out there, but we went through various iterations of how tipping should work. The no tipping. Oh, that, yeah. Front of house, changes. back of house type stuff. And it's constantly evolving. Um, and now it's not as big of an issue once it, they change the law. Right, they change everything. So, would you would you be able to, uh, in terms of the biggest change you've seen, and not not just for the podcast, but from maybe when you started doing the Portland Food Adventures to where things are now? What's been the biggest change in the food world that you've, that you've noticed? Well, there's really been a sea change in the last year. Yeah. That, so there, you know, changes. Of course, now we have next generations of people. So the 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 mentors of before are now. The, the people they were mentoring are now the mentors yeah. in many cases. And so they're, they're the mills for new chefs and new talent. But the real sea change now is the economy and um, how one of the things we had going in Portland for years is that people could open a food cart and then generate a little bit of money and open a little restaurant and, and be creative yeah. and get some attention because they were being creative and maybe do pretty well. No one, no one's driving... Mercedes, who own, owns restaurants right. in Portland. Um, they will be sh- shortly, and this is why. So now in the last year, because the economy has changed and we're closing down food pot, or food po- uh, food cart pods, food cart pods, thank you, to open up hotels and yeah. retail space, and those are going to have to be brick and mortar, and they're not inexpensive, so they require big investors. It's like Seattle now. Mm-hmm big investors to open these restaurants so that they can't take the chances, the creative chances as much. You're not going to have a kingdom of the Roosevelt that opens for two years. And uh, so, and everything's way more expensive than it was. So food's getting more expensive and, and it's also the service is a big issue because how do you sustain a restaurant now? How's the, what's the best way? Fast casual where you walk up to the register and you order and you take a number and they bring it to to you. you. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, now I'm paying about the same amount as I did 10 years ago, but I'm busing my own table and getting my own water. And right. Just make, fun, sure, uh, make sure you tip yourself. Yeah, exactly. And But I'm also tipping them, right. too. There's the tip line. They yeah, turn yeah. around and they want yeah. 20%, and that's all well and good. They need that to sustain. Sure. But then there's, as I said, there's that consumer side of it, too. I look at it as a consumer and say, if, if I'm going to pay a 20% tip, I want someone taking my order right. and bringing me the food. Yeah. So, um, But I understand the other side of it. There's no easy answer. But anyway, that's the biggest change that I see in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and with TV catching on, you're seeing a Portland-type food scene happening in other places, like right. Nashville. You're oh, hearing yeah. about that, and Charleston, and um, and even even places like uh, Medford. You know, down oh, there, sure. they have some cool restaurants. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. 
on top of the the mass migration uh, or at least the uh the uh companies coming in and buying the the portland named restaurants and putting them in vegas well that getting, too and all the, the vegas versions of all these places too right and we're going to become a little a little more open to vegasy kind of things restaurants from out of town who have the money yeah. to come in here and do it well so i um but yeah so you're seeing pock pock and lardo mm. in vegas now yeah. that the big change before was they went from a food cart to a restaurant yeah. now they're doing that and you know look at look at micah camden with blue star donuts they're in japan right they're opening so there, there are a lot of things happening mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. Um, it's harder to follow now. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't even, I, the, the Eater Best Restaurant Awards, their nominations came out a few months ago and I looked at it and said, I don't even know two of those places. Yeah. I'm supposed to be in yeah, this yeah. Food, food scene. So it's harder to follow now. His name is uh, Chris Angeles. He's been our guest here on the Portland 50 and you can find you at Portland Food ADV on Instagram. Right. And if you don't follow that Instagram handle, you need to because you're not going to get a lot of food there, but you're going to get a lot of uh, great coastal pictures yeah. and great pictures of your two dogs. Oh, I mix in the food. So you're going to you, see- You do get the food. I, but, just this morning, I posted some stuff from Bollywood Theater yeah. and Double Mountain Pizza. Sure. You, have hey, you ever been to Double Mountain? I have not. I saw oh, the picture man. and it looked, it looked delicious. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then my travel. I love to post that food. That's fun because that's stuff people in Portland haven't seen. So I mix it up a little bit. So that, yeah, that Instagram and then our- Podcast Instagram, yeah. which we don't spend a lot of no, time with. Probably should spend more. Yeah, probably spend more. That's Food Podcast PDX at yeah. Food Podcast PDX, and that's right at the fork.com. And then the other one, I'm getting Port congested. PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Well, that's a good, probably you're getting congested, and we're out of time. And so there's one other thing I want to say. Yes, is that we would love to have people join us on the trips. They're really special, oh, yeah. and I'm not I'm not a high pressure salesperson, but right. if someone calls me, I can tell them the virtues and why we have repeat people coming on multiple trips because we're doing something pretty cool. So, um, Australia, when does this, when is this, this gonna, I'm actually going to put it out today. Today. Yeah. Australia in April fares are like 900 bucks to Australia. And that trip is awesome. And we have some space and we have a, Right now, only five people going, so we're not going to get so big that it's crazy. Right. But if we had, if we could find another couple or two to get it to seven or nine, oh my god, they're going to have such a good time. There you go. So, and, so you got to contact Chris just if you if you're slightly curious about it. Or Bologna in October yeah. too. So and that's awesome. And I never talked about in case she's listening, my dear friend Austria and oh, yeah. who does curates the trips for us. Mm -hmm. She's they're unbelievable trips to Italy. You can't have. Any, any other way than going with us. You've got that information at uh, Portland, portlandfoodadventures.com. Plural. Yes. Did I say adventure? Portlandfoodadventures.com. I'm just making sure people okay. know that because all, right. all of a sudden say I, <laughs> I emailed you at portlandfoodadventure.com. So and it, didn't, it didn't go anywhere. Didn't, and I probably should have it set up so that works, that. right? Yeah. The good it's thought. just more money. That's why I came on your, there your, we go. your, your podcast we'll to that figure out. that out. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right